Welcome to another episode, a brand spanking new episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. <clears throat> Dust the bottles off. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's true. We're here and I am so happy to be here. It's been a, a few weeks since I've been able to sit at the table at uh, this conversation. I'm Nate Larkin. Uh, here in Tennessee with Newton Dominey and our executive producer, Mark Whitlock. And of course, joining us from the left coast, the always brilliant uh, Aaron Porter. Hey, Aaron. I'm sorry. I was working out a quadratic trigonometry <laughs> formula here. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure. Even, even my made-up math only proves that that is my kryptonite. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, it just. Seemed... But I have a new YouTube channel on trigonometry. If anybody wants to learn about it, <laughs> and we'll be linking to that from piratemonkpodcast.com. <laughs> uh, it's it's newer than new math. Oh. So give us give us this update of your crazy uh, few. Well, it's been like a month and a half now, Nate yeah. of. Yeah, of absolute craziness. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of it's the same old story. Uh, continued health challenges with my wife, my poor wife. Uh, it started with me. I caught the flu, and I was over it in just a few days. But Allie, thanks to all her medical treatments, has a compromised immune system. Uh, she was sweet enough to kiss me when I was sick. Stupid enough to kiss me oh. when I was sick. She caught the flu and uh, didn't get over it. It turned her into uh, pneumonia, which landed her three separate stays in the hospital. Lots of ugly stuff, mm-hmm. uh, draining fluid from her lungs. And finally, a surgery that involved prying her ribs apart and cleaning out her lungs. And So the surgeon yeah. now tells her that she'll, she'll be in pain for the next few months. And somehow I'm able to turn that into self-pity. <laughs> it's 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 amazing how i'm able to feel sorry for myself in the middle of all my wife's travails yeah but i did get some time off uh while she was in the hospital actually she was home when i left i did not know she was going to have to go back in the hospital but she was back in with our within hours of my departure i did get to take a great trip uh out to alaska and uh, hang with some guys there at the Alaska Men's Fellowship uh, retreat a couple hours outside of Anchorage. I'll tell you what, it is a beautiful, just a gorgeous part of God's creation, even in February. Huh. And um, yeah, and the, they, the, the fellows there, they were thrilled with the mild weather uh, <laughs> because it was above zero the whole time I was there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Put yeah. on your shorts and your flip-flops. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, isn't this a really rough time of year to be going to Alaska? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's the one time of year when the guy's got nothing else to do. Yeah. Uh, we got to so, talk to your booking agent. Yeah. So, um. <laughs> and I'll tell you one thing that surprised me. Now, maybe our our northern friends, our, our subscribers from, from colder climes are quite used to this. But I was astonished our first day there. Uh, I, I step out of the little hotel and there, there's a, there's a couple of feet of snow on the ground and ice in the trees. Yeah. And it's a, you know, it's a balmy seven degrees. <laughs> and I see a guy riding past on the, uh, on a frozen lake, riding by on a bicycle. 
on a freaking an, an ice bike. bicycle? A Was it specially bicycle. equipped? Obviously, like well, are there turns spikes out in then, the then I saw them all over, the, and I actually got to ride one um, in uh, Alaska. Now they they have fat tire bikes with studded tires huh. for wow. all weather cycling. And the and the uh, the gloves, the mittens are actually attached to the handlebars. They go all the way up to your elbow, so you huh. slide into the. Uh, and they're geared really low because who knows what you yeah. might be pushing through. And it's really quite quite something. But great guys up that there. Sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> isn't that isn't that wild? It is. Yeah. Yeah. So huh. anyway, wow. so um, was it deli- was it delightful? It sounds pretty fun. It is. It it is actually fun. Uh, it just did, uh, just a big surprise for me, but a beautiful part that, of the country up there cool. in Alaska. I can see how it can get into a man's blood, into his bones. Yeah. Uh, Alaska reminded me a lot of Nashville in that almost everybody in Alaska or everybody I met came from someplace. Else. Is, is in a band? <laughs> it's in band, right. <laughs> oh, oh, wait, I'm sorry. I, no. I jumped in too soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So Almost anyway, everybody in Alaska, what? What's that? Almost oh, everybody in Alaska, what? Since oh, it's not yeah, you is talked in a band. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Everybody came there from someplace else. Very few. I met very few native-born uh, Alaskans. Huh. But, uh, you know, people came up either l- running from something or looking for something and kind of got hooked. Huh. Yeah. And I think, I think Alaska does so, things... To like encourage people to move up, like some yeah. sort of stipend or, or oh something. yeah. Well, the amazing thing is, there's no sales tax, there's cool. no income tax, huh. and when the ta- when the when the Alaska is running a surplus, which they are not now, thanks to the drop in oil prices, but they, everybody would actually get an annual check. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Um, wow. So and, did you uh, did you did you meet all those pastors who had been sent to Alaska because of their uh, proclivity to look at porn <laughs> and admit it out loud? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, uh, one of them, actually, I got there because of his recommendation. And then to go up there and see, you know, here's a man who was essentially, as I saw it, sent into exile in Alaska because he had uh, had a moral failure here and a very public, very sincere repentance. But somehow the church couldn't handle recovery or restoration. To see almost every man at that retreat had firsthand knowledge of this pastor. That pastor went up there, and I want to tell you, he built a band of warriors. Huh. He just lived out loud and changed. Uh, he made he made a profound impact on that city in the years that he was there. He's back now uh, in Tennessee. In fact, we're going to have to have him on this podcast. Uh, so it was it was good to see um, how, and I'm sure that when we talk to that brother, he's going to say the same kind of thing that I find myself saying, which is my ministry really began to mean something and began to have an effect when the bright and shiny veneer was gone, uh, when I didn't have to project a victorious image, when people knew my brokenness. And, uh, and, and the challenge is just to stay open about our brokenness, isn't it? Yeah, every, <clears throat> yeah. every day. Yeah. Or, or just for me, it's not even about the brokenness, it's just my normalness <laughs> there you go you know that i i'm that i'm not superman that yes. i'm not infallible yeah um so i have i have to do that i mean it, it seems like every week at home at some point yeah i have to say yeah i've been 
wearing this and trying to project this. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can you take know. the cape off again. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I don't know how I keep putting it on. <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, it's very it's it's so strange because you say normalness and it is normal because God decided to create a world in which brokenness would come. And so I live out my perfect identity in Christ in a body of flesh that will always desire flesh things until I die and get a a body that's as redeemed as I am. So it is normal that our flesh would still be a part of this journey. So lying about that seems like the dumbest thing like it's, yeah. why would anyone even believe that? It's it that would be the most abnormal thing, yeah, in a Christian's life, and yet it's the first thing up for lying about. It's very yeah. strange. We're strange and, creatures, we Christians, and very often it's what we require of our um, clergy or anybody huh. in Christian leadership. Yeah, right, or in any leadership. Right, I mean yeah. for that matter. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, yeah. But to see the value so Mark, of leading with a limp. Yeah, go ahead. Mark, I, I had a, a, uni- a unique experience with you that I have not told you about. Uh-oh. Oh, that's scary. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a, I think it was a Saturday evening, might have been a Friday evening, a, a few weeks ago, that I was invited to play at, uh, at a party uh, at a winery. And I brought along uh, an accordion player and a singer. And uh, it, was, it was lots of fun because this place has a, a lovely grand piano to play. And I thought, you know what? On my program, I always I always have iPads for people who play with me because I usually have a set of about 90 songs that I'm going to play like 40 of them. And I thought, tonight I am going to set these up so that their iPads will change to whatever song I change to so I don't have to like call out a name and they have to go alphabetically and scroll through 90 songs to find it. But to do that, I had to be online, which usually all devices are offline when I'm playing. And it was working amazingly. I'm clicking on a song, boom, their iPads come up, we play it, everybody's having a grand time. And that was a particular night that you gave me a phone call. Do you remember that (laughs) night that you gave me the phone call? Yes. (laughs) So what I hadn't considered was I, I hadn't deprogrammed all of those to, you know, come up with a full screen shot of the person's name who's calling in. So in the middle of the song, everybody's iPad says, Mark Whitlock, Mark Whitlock. And everyone's thinking, what are the chords to the song? What are the words to the song? We don't know this song by heart. And so it became about, you know, a 40-second jam on the last three chords of the song until it finally went away. So, So you were thought of, just so you know, you were, you know, you you came to mind. You were you were meditated on for a while. In fact, it probably yeah. took about ten minutes to stop thinking about you. Yeah. It was fantastic. He prayed you were, for you, you or at well least loved. mentioned you to God. Yeah, it was an imprecatory <laughs> prayer. <laughs> oh well, thanks for sharing. Yeah. yeah, glad we could do a duet together in in a electro magnetic sort of way. Yeah. <laughs> there. Yeah. There you go. So, uh, when is your race coming up? What's the What's the update? How's your oh, fundraising well, and your preparations? Yeah, thanks for asking. We are. It's April 29th, so we're within two months and a week, something along those lines. And uh, training is going well. And I've I've run enough of these races that that kind of scares me. 
So when am I going to step off the step in a ditch or right. tweak my ankle coming off of a curb or something along right. those lines? But it's going really, really well. I, I feel more like a new man when I'm working out than I do at, at other times because it, it's just such a profound difference. Having, uh-huh. you know, I'm, I'm training for this race at least 60 pounds lighter than uh, I did my first race for sure. And somewhere, you know, 40, 40 pounds lighter than I, I did my other races. So it, it's a completely different ball game. And uh, it's exciting and fun. Uh, from a fundraising standpoint, we, we, we've continued to tell the story. It's been fun to see uh, our story shared some uh, in other places. We're at 17% of goal. And uh, for those of you who are, who are number crunchers, um, just know that fundraising comes in always at the, at the last minute, but, uh, uh, but we're uh, continuing to pray and hope that, uh, that we hit our, our, our aggressive goal and uh, we're able to bring awareness for this great school, New Hope Academy here in, in Franklin. It's a, a community school uh, that is serious about killing racism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 40 to 50 percent of the students in, at the school come from homes of generational poverty and they're in classes with uh, with families of doctors lawyers and everything else uh, musicians uh, touring musicians uh, etc so it's a it's an amazing school classical education and we're trying to raise a full scholarship and the way our team is working a family out of Florida who has nothing to do with the school but found out about it at a Toby Mac concert uh, has been r- involved in the race for five years. Uh, Zion, my uh, 10-year-old stepson, goes to that school. And uh, so we, we're joining together. I'm running the half marathon. The, the wife in Florida is running the half marathon. And then uh, the husband in Florida and I are, are teaming up to push Zoe, uh, who's 16 year old, years old and has uh, heart challenges in an adult stroller, for the half marathon. She's always wanted to have a, a race experience like this. She comes and she's a big cheerleader for Zion and his races, but she's never gotten to participate in any way. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're uh, pushing her in an adult stroller and then Zion and Heather are running the 5k. Um, so it's a team of six of us trying to raise a full scholarship. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, it, it takes a lot of, uh, a lot of thought and energy and we, we spend a lot of time talking about it uh, for sure. That's kind of the biggest thing coming up. Uh, in the next couple of months for us in the middle of the normal hectic schedule when right. <clears throat> you got kids in the house. Yeah. Thanks for asking, Aaron. Yeah, well, you know what? I think we need, uh, most people don't know Toby's story in in the special needs department. I think we should have him on here and uh, and have a, a longer discussion about why this is significant and uh, some of the stuff you guys have, have walked through and and discovered areas of faith that not all of us get to. That's a good idea. Huh. Okay. We'll reach out. Yeah, you'll come. Well, we've got a special guest this morning, but before he comes on, I was thinking we should maybe do a mini meeting. What do you guys think? It's been a while. Oh, Sounds good. To me. Sounds good to me. All right. Well, let's take a short break, and we will come right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. You turned away when I looked you in the eye and hesitated when I asked if you were all right. Seems like you're fighting for your life, but why, oh why? Wide awake in the middle of your nightmare. You saw it coming, but it hit you out of nowhere. And there's always scars when you fall that far. We lose our way, we get back up again. It's never too late to get back up again. And one day, 
Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast and a mini-meeting. Mini-mini-meeting! And so we welcome you to this mini-meeting of the Samson Society. We are a company of Christian men. We're also natural loners who have recognized the dangers of isolation and are determined to escape them. Natural wanderers who are finding spiritual peace and prosperity at home. Natural liars who are now finding freedom in the truth. Natural judges who are learning to judge ourselves aright. Natural strongmen who are experiencing God's strength as we admit our weaknesses. As Christians, we meet at other times for worship, for teaching, and for corporate prayer. Today, however, we meet to talk. We share honestly out of our own experiences. We tell the truth about ourselves, knowing that our brothers will listen to us in love and will hold whatever we say in strictest confidence. We try to keep our comments brief, taking time to leave plenty of time for others. We address our statements to the entire podcast listening audience rather than (laughs) directing them toward any one person. As a rule, we refrain from giving advice to others or instructing them during the meeting, believing that such conversations are best reserved for private moments between friends. And the suggested topic for today is... Resentment. And we're going to confine ourselves to that topic. (laughs) The floor is now open for anyone who wishes to speak. I feel like everybody can share about resentment specifically with how I picked the topic. (laughs) If nothing else. Uh, Well, I'll I'll start since I I picked it. Hi, Newton. Oh, yeah, I'm Newton. Hi, Newton. Hi, Newton. I I had a, a moment... Um, Monday, today's Wednesday, right? Yeah. <laughs> Monday. Um, the, the, the short version is I'm having to carry some extra weight in childcare due to just life circumstances. Um, and on Monday I forgot that school was out. And so my plan was to work a half day and then have my son for a half day and get some things done. <clears throat> well, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I immediately went into like this just resentful pissy place. Mm-hmm. Um, and having gone kind of on the other side of that, I've got a little bit of, a, I feel like I have a little bit of clarity on um, how I wind up in, in resentment. I mean, mm-hmm. for, for me, uh, I'm noticing that um, if I don't stay present, yeah, you know, and aware of, um, just where I am right now, it doesn't have to be good, but where I am right now, mm-hmm. um, I can very quickly go to resentment. Yeah. You know, the world is against me that, you know, everybody's taking a dump on me. You know, uh, it is really easy um, for me to just totally spin out um, <clears throat> and, and be in this spot where um, it doesn't matter what my wife says. It doesn't matter what my son does. It doesn't matter what's going on. Um, you know, it's, it's somebody trying to, to get me. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, um, it's, it's challenging and I don't, I don't know the answer, like how to, like to pull myself out of that. I know what, what started to work on Monday. Um, my Silas wasn't available. So I talked to my wife, um, and was not super caring and compassionate and nice. (laughs) Um, but you know, we were talking about normalness, you know, um, I just had to tell her where I was. Yeah. You know, like I, I feel like I'm getting dumped on. I feel like all oh, this is landing in my lap and whatever. Um, and God bless my wife. She listened to it and didn't throw it back in my face. Right. 
which I probably deserved. Um, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, so I think that's that's part of it for me is um, resentment seems to work best for me, or to, seems to catch hold most easily for me if I don't share it with somebody else. Yes. Um, but if I share my resentment, um, it seems like it diffuses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I tell somebody else that I feel like the, I, I feel this is true. Mm-hmm. Um, if I, when I start to, when I start to share that, when I start to to open up, it dissipates. Yeah. You know, it starts to go away. I start to realize, recognize maybe just the ridiculousness mm-hmm. to which I have played this thing out. Yeah. Um, you know, my two-year-old son is not out to get me because he, <laughs> because he doesn't want to do this or do that, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, I, I, that's probably why resentment just like, like jumped out when I was reading through the list. Um, and that's, that's why that's, uh, that's what I think about it. That's where I am with it. Um, so that's it. I'm Newton. Thanks, Newton. Thanks, Newton. Well, I'm Aaron. Hey, hey Aaron. That was that was actually helpful to hear because it helped me uh, helped form a few of my thoughts. Uh, resentment for me is always a vacation from selflessness. <laughs> um, it it's it's that spot when I just am sick of serving people, usually closest to me. Um, and then start making lists in my head of what I deserve or what I've earned. Hmm. Uh, and the hard part is when, when possibly those are well-founded and maybe I am putting more energy into certain things than people around me. And that's the worst because then it feels like really justified. But I guess all resentment feels justified uh, in my head when it comes up. But... In those moments, uh, I think if I want to deal with it, I tend towards just pulling myself up by my bootstraps and trying harder to serve more. But then my fuse is incredibly short, so if anything goes wrong when I'm trying harder, it'll just go to more anger, which I resentment for me is definitely based in anger. I don't know if other people have other emotions it comes out of so it's a it's a dangerous spot for me to just try to fix it myself and uh when newton was talking about that i realized that the the best times of coming out of resentment are when i'm honest with the people around me about what i'm feeling coupled with trying to be selfless mm-hmm. yeah because usually it brings more compassion from them and I don't know. I think when I'm trying to be selfless without telling people, I'm waiting to see if they're going to fail me. So they're on trial. I'll be selfless a little longer, but are you going to start acting like you appreciate it or are you going to serve me back? Uh, but when I tell them, I realize I'm I'm just coming honestly in humility saying, I'm at this emotional place. This is where I'm at. And I'll do my best. And I would ask you to try to love me the best you can. So that's that's a really helpful reminder for me this morning that that is the better process than just trying to be more Christiany and selfless, is to be honest 
and just try to enter back into a little more servant-hearted love. That's all I have to say about it. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. We're playing Samson Chicken. Yeah. Normally in these meetings, yeah, I, I count know. down yeah. from 30, <laughs> you know, to give somebody else a chance to speak. Hi, I'm Mark. Hey, hey Mark. And uh, I have found myself in a, uh, a deep hole of resentment. It's the hole I keep finding myself in. And uh, the other night, I, I shared with my wife that I'm in a place of, of, of unforgiveness. Um, when I, the way I look at resentment, you talked about how, Aaron, how it comes out of anger for you. For me, um, I see it come more out of hurt. Um, in Chip Dodd's book, The Voice of the Heart, he talks about how hurt, when it is not dealt with, when we don't feel that emotion well, we don't process it well, it, it, it metastasizes into resentment. And I've seen that for sure in my life. And um, uh, I've mentioned on this podcast before that, you know, I feel like my, my recovery is kind of like archaeology. I've dug down several different layers and we've dusted them off and photographed them and cataloged them and then we've kept digging. And we found one where I don't want to be. And, uh, um, and it has to do with, uh, in a big part, uh, not completely, but a big part with uh, some some old pains of my mom. And uh, for the sake of our mini meeting, I'll give you one story. And that uh, fifth grade Thanksgiving day, uh, my cousin Jason, who lived uh, two states away, was in town, and we were riding bikes together. And uh, we lived on a hill. We tied paper airplanes behind our bikes and we're trying to see how well they flew when we would race down the hill. So one of my times down the hill, I, uh, rode my bike down the hill and was paying attention to my, uh, paper airplane and coming over the hill was this Camaro, 16 year old in a Camaro. So I was coming down the hill of the driveway. He was coming over the hill of the street and neither of us saw each other. He slams on his brakes and skids sideways. And the, and the passenger door of his car hits me on the bike. And I fall down, bust up my face, uh, bloody nose. I've got a cut uh, on my lip. And uh, something's wrong. I had actually chipped two of my teeth, my two front teeth. And so I'm headed back up the hill. My dad and, my, and Jason's dad, my uncle, uh, were talking with the guy and trying to figure out how in the world I didn't have a leg crushed since, the, I, you know, how did that happen? And I'm going up to get something for my face. And my mom comes running out and sees me and goes, is Jason okay? Is Jason okay? Is Jason okay? I'm sitting there with a bloody nose, bloody face. And my mom's asking me if my cousin's okay. And uh, when I said, mom, it wasn't Jason, it was me. And then she turned mean and angry that I had embarrassed her that I needed to clean up. Mm-hmm. And she was that way the rest of the day. Uh, was frustrated that I didn't want to eat. I was missing two front teeth. I didn't want to eat. Um, and then the next week were school pictures. And I told her I didn't want to take my school picture. I had a big scab right underneath my right mm-hmm. nostril on my lip. I didn't want to take my school pictures. And so my fifth grade school picture is me just looking at the camera like a mean guy, gritted teeth. Like, I can't mm-hmm. believe I'm having to do this. Mm-hmm. And that's one of, it's kind of a funny one, but a, one of a couple dozen stories. And here I am at 48. And... She's been dead for um, almost 10 years. 
and I can't forgive her. Hmm. I have so much resentment over the dozens of, of incidences like that. And, uh, I can't let them go. Hmm. Um, and, uh, I'm stuck there and I'm trying to find ways to express that. Um, I keep, I keep hitting up against it and, and need to, uh, um, I need to express that forgiveness for her, but I can't, I'm just, I'm mired in resentment Mm. about that. Mm. And, uh, compounding that is resentment over some issues with my ex-wife and ways that I can't forgive her. And, um, don't like this. Don't like this place. This is not, not a good, good place to be, but, uh, I'm grateful to be here because <laughs> God will use it to teach me. <laughs> I'm Mark. Thanks, Thanks Mark. Mark. Thanks, Mark. So we have uh, protocols in in meetings, whether they're many meetings or or not, um, that we don't just pray for everything that we feel awkward talking about, and we don't have crosstalk. And occasionally, we break that protocol, which makes it a a powerful thing, but man, you got to be careful. But this morning, I'm going to break protocol for one moment uh, to say, Mark, you said that's one story, kind of a funny story. And I just want to say out loud, I don't think that's a funny story. I'd agree with I that. I think yeah. that's a heartbreaking story. Yeah. Thanks. That's all. Yeah. Thanks. I'm Nate. Hey, Nate. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm Nate. Hey, Nate. Yeah. Hey, Nate. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. I had my weekly meeting with my Silas this morning for our podcast, and our, the topic we hit on very early was <laughs> resentment. So it's resentment That's day funny. here for Nate Larkin. Uh, so, so God didn't think you were done. <laughs> Apparently not. Uh, you know, there were several things that my Silas gently tried to impress upon me in our conversation. Uh, one of them is my ability to really kind of manufacture resentments to set them up, hmm. um, by trying to be, uh, better than good, superhuman. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, when I can't be as big or as good as I want to be, um, somehow project blame on other people for my own failure and resent that. So I do, I have a well-developed messianic complex. And um, so I will uh, step into, I will create obligations for myself, which no realistic person would create. Uh, And then grow, uh, and and then get tired under the burden of it. And uh, and then start to resent that I have to carry this burden that I created. That's a part of it. Another part of it uh, for me is uh, there, there is some kind of sense, sick, sick sense of satisfaction in martyrdom. Um, and for me, resentment can kind of take this form of martyrdom. The, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the alcoholics have that saying, you know, it's poor me, poor me, poor me, poor me another one. Mm. Uh, because resentment and self-pity just kind of run together and go that way. And um, but my Silas really 
emphasized to me was the importance of staying conscious, staying awake, and staying honest about my resentments. Because um, another part of my idealized self-image is I want to be the guy who doesn't resent anything. Right. Um, and so I would rather let the resentment kill me than admit that I am that I have resentment. Right. And uh, you know, I'm in a season in a situation right now where there are a lot of things that are outside my control, uh, especially these days surrounding my wife's health and you know the progress of my business, things that I I, I just really can't control. And it's natural that I will feel frustrated, um, angry, uh, sometimes for reasons that I've created and sometimes just because situations are beyond my control. Um, but I, uh, I cannot afford to nurse and nurture and cultivate a resentment. Even though there is this kind of, there is this um, sense of satisfaction, this sick piece of comfort that uh, when I can tell myself that I'm being misused by the world or being misunderstood, uh, it's a, a resentment really supplies the building blocks for ent <clears throat> entitlement, which can then uh, make it possible for me to go back into self-destructive behavior. And I just can't afford to do that. So uh, probably time for me to do a formal resentment list again. This is very often uh, in, in step work where uh, a good sponsor in 12-step recovery will start a sponsee on a step four. Uh, the experience of the alcoholics and the other addicts in recovery is that uh, resentment is the number one offender. And if we want to uncover those character defects that have driven our self-destructive behavior, there's a really high percentage chance that uh, resentment's going to be driving a lot of it. So I've had a lot of guys do resentment lists uh, and read them to me. I've done resentment lists of my own, but it's been a few years since I did a formal one, and I think mm. it's probably about time to do it again. So I get the message. <laughs> I get the message. I will do it. I'm Nate. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Nate. Well, that is our mini-meeting for the morning. We have a guest waiting, so we will be right back with Dr. Brian Kay on the Pirate Monk Podcast. It's time for letting go All of our phonies Cause we don't have a time machine
On the Pirate Monk podcast, and Aaron has managed to uh, wrangle a guest, a, a guy uh, I really like. Aaron, would you go ahead and do our introduction? Yeah, this morning we have on the show Dr. Brian Kay. Now, he's not a real doctor. If you're hurt, don't go to him. He'll, he'll, he'll just tell you God still loves you and is sovereign of the situation. But he is a doctor nonetheless and a therapist a uh, marriage and family counselor, and an amateur comedian. Welcome, Brian Kay. Would you start us off with one of your favorite jokes oh. that you've written? Go. You're going to do that to him? Oh, that's the wow. last, the most unfair. That's, uh, that's, that's gotcha journalism, <laughs> I think, you're doing there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, but, uh, <laughs> Fine. I've always Fine. My amateur, my amateur comedian, uh, yeah, uh, experience only amounts to, I think, four times on stage for less than three minutes, uh, during which I bombed probably 75% of those times. <laughs> so that's just full disclosure. It's a tough, it's a tough uh, audience in San Francisco. Oh, wow, really? God bless you, man. I admire the, the guts you have to get up there. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say, like the, the the conversation might not go in this direction, but um, the the uh, the stand up comedy little like mini mini venture of my life has turned into now one of my uh, top ten favorite counseling interventions with people, which is uh, to uh, find a place where they can go fail publicly in a spectacular way, and then learn that they can still survive even that. Oh, if they survive that, then yeah. So I'm uh, I'm constantly trying to get my my clients and counselees to. Um, go fail big time on a San Francisco stand-up stage. And I'll, nobody picked me up on it, but uh, sooner or later, I'll, I'll write the book on that as a, as a whole counseling theory. So stay, stay tuned for that in 2027. Yeah. That, that has got to be one of the strangest counseling methodologies I've ever heard, since you're mostly dealing with people who are struggling with their own failures or resentment of other people's failures. So why is it that you think that's a helpful thing for them? Um, I have this, I literally do have this um, intervention that the, the generic name for it in my mind when I'm thinking about launching it on someone is um, go fail uh, in public. And it's um, it's a form of exposure therapy, really, which if you know anything about that. It's, sure, for anxiety. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, there's a way that this could go badly, obviously, because you could re-traumatize someone and make whatever they were worried about 10 times worse because the consequence seems like it's... Uh, truly catastrophic but the the intent is to <laughs> at least work up to a place where someone who is really bound up in anxiety around some form of um you know some form of public failure some form of being um found out or shamed or seen to be le- uh, perceived to be less than to go ahead and just notch that up to something that's uh you know more, more of a true failure like you know really to, to go on stage and just tell a joke and have no one laugh yeah. That is whatever that is. That is a failure, and yet it is a completely survivable failure. That, and I know this having been a 
somewhat failed comedian, like as soon as you get off stage, there's a ton of love for you and acceptance, and you're kind of the hero for having gone into the arena in the first place. And that's what a lot of the companies don't know is on the other side of, um, you know, some form of social loss or failure that there's still love for them. There's still very often some form of community. There's there's uh, all these things that some part of their brain told them would uh, would never happen or could never happen. Wow. <clears throat> I like it. So, can can me, it just be wrapped up into like a church me, mission uh, statement? <laughs> <laughs> a, failure. I, I want to hear your take on this, Brian, because I mean, failure is a huge part of everybody's life, whether it's fear of failure, uh, regret over failure. And, and it seems like a weird concept because we are so short-sighted on failure. Like there are so many failures in our life that were necessary to bring us to places where we're exactly where we need to be. So were those failures failures? And I, I'm, I especially think of Jesus the night that he says, you know, th- this is, this is my hour. The son of man is, is, is being glorified here. And it's, he's about to go to the cross and he straight up is saying, this is the hour of the greatest human triumph in my father's plan through me. And yet everybody, hundred percent of the people who knew him best walked away saying this was the hour of greatest failure, which is like, wow, how could, how could the greatest moment of triumph be perceived as failure? So how, how do you deal with, yeah, how do you deal with the fact that we're so blind to what failure actually is? What is failure? Well, we're getting right into this. There's no <laughs> ramp up <this> conversation. <laughs> we're Where's the 15 minutes of small talk? But, uh, <laughs> oh, we, we did that first. <laughs> <laughs> Boot to butt and out the airplane door. So this is where, I mean, as a, as, a, as a believer who operates in the counseling world, I mean, I've got one foot in the counseling world and one foot in the, the world of theology and uh, the church world. And so uh, when you bring up failure, I go right into the way that, that parts of us I'm just diving right in here, Aaron. But I, I, parts of us as sinners are attached to pretty uh, suspect ideas of what real failure is, and then we become enthralled to them, I'm convinced. And the, the, the parts of us are, I don't say this to clients like directly unless they're ready for it, but the, the parts of us that have these attachments and, and very fearful attachments to perceived failures, real or perceived, as, a, as if they were catastrophic, very often are parts that are um, somehow um, attached to different idols, and usually the idols have a very specific kind of doctrine of what success in the world should look like, of uh, a doctrine of what's tolerable uh, in the world in terms of success and failure, and um, and a lot of that kind of what's at stake uh, in failure. So I think probably the the, the easiest low-hanging fruit is that these parts of us tend to think that there's more at stake. Yeah, with certain kinds of perceived failure than there really is. So they think that if I, um, you know, if I um, come off as weak in this social setting, or if I, if I mm-hmm. blow it on the job, or if I lapse into a, a sin again that uh, I've struggled with, that that is um, failure at the level of like Armageddon-like catastrophe, from which there is no return. Um, and from which I will be cast into the outer darkness. Yeah. 
and that's that's really religious language I'm using intentionally because those parts that really do if you listen to them very long they have um really religious like catastrophe in their yeah. vision how does how does self focus play into that cuz it seems like the more the deeper into that hole you get the more it's just all about you even if you're thinking about how other people are responding or whatever but self focus seems like it's uh psychologically and spiritually kind of a dangerous world to be in once failure's on the table. Mm. And you mean self-focus as in um, it's my own personal... And, and everything is revolving around me and my feelings. Everybody else's responses have everything to do with me, and and that becomes like a really sticky mire, right? Mm, yeah, I think so. Like Probably in a few different directions. I'd agree with that. Like, one of those is that my me focus is uh, denies the fact that I'm one of uh, several actors on the on the stage in any given moment that has some kind of influence on how the play develops. I'm not the only actor. It's not it's not a one man production. Mm-hmm. Um, which that's a terrible bind to be caught in if you believe that you're primarily in control and it's only you. Mm-hmm. could figure out the right tweaks and the right moves. You could really control your, your situation. Failure, to go back to that, is, um, it's, you know, a lot of times, we, we know it's out of our direct control. It's, things happen to us, not just things that we choose to have happen. So that's, I mean, that's one area where self-focus is pretty self-defeating and, and God-eclipsing, too, I'd say. Um, but, yeah, other areas as well. I think there's this... I was trying to counsel someone the other day whose parents were um, splitting up and she was young enough where she's not thinking in terms of God's grand scheme. It's it's, it's, it's how it hurts today that this is happening to my family. Um, and I, I don't know the answer to this really, even as a counselor, I'm still growing in this. But like how can you help someone to reframe even their own personal tragedies as uh part of a grand storyline where really God's in the center versus me. Um, and God may be up to something that's much more wonderful and powerful than my own individual storyline would, um, would illuminate. I was going to say, so you, you came from planting a church, being a pastor for 10 years. Was it 10 years in San Luis? Uh, 14 years, actually. 14. Sorry. Wow. I, Totally undershot that. 14 years pastoring a church that you uh, helped plant. Then you went off, even though you had uh, all these theological degrees, and got a degree in counseling and became a marriage and family therapist. And now you are re-entering the world of being a pastor. So I'm curious what you learned between, okay, I'm a pastor and I know how to do that. Now going back into being a pastor after being a counselor, how's that change what you view your role as pastor and what you view the role of the church to one another is to keep people from having to come to you? I think the part of one way to like frame pastoral ministry that uh, was a way that I increasingly thought about it while I was in those 14 years was that I'm doing a, um, like a large-scale counseling session when I'm preaching, and I've got a room full of, you know, 100-plus people that uh, have their own heart condition, and I'm somehow trying to take this text, whatever the text was that I'm preaching through, and 
uh, at some level of, of generalness, kind of apply it to general heart situations, um, you know, such that, uh, you know, there's some kind of reorienting and some healing. So that, that's one way to think about preaching is that it's, it's big group counseling. However, as anybody who's done any counseling on either end, either receiving it or giving it knows, it's, it's like general counseling is um, great, but it's, it doesn't um, always hit me right where I'm hurting or where my struggle is. So I think when I launched into the, um, and, and really got training, I needed more training, I, I believe, to do the one-on-one counseling, that was, uh, it just felt like a venue where I could do sort of extremely potent, um, directed um, care for a person that had, uh, on one hand, there was kind of a biblical textual element because I was still a Christian in the room and I believe that God's truth is more healing than any other form of truth. But I also, I I, I really do uh, respect even the the kind of the, the common grace that allows even non-Christian counseling and psychological mm-hmm. theorists to teach us a few things about how the psyche works, about how the brain works, and there were enough areas that I was really thankful to have more tools that you wouldn't even necessarily need if you were uh, only preaching, I guess I'd say. So it just felt like uh, it just went it went, it went um, deeper and broader at the same time. But okay, then I get to your question, going back into the... So I, I preach about seven or eight times a year now, um, and it is different. I, those sermons... Now the sermons now are, they are. I find myself making like Alcoholics Anonymous. I, like I struggle against every single sermon having about three illustrations from like the the big book, AA big book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm turning one of those preachers, turning to one of those psychologically oriented preachers, uh, which I've got some biases against. <laughs> However, I, it's I'm, you know the ship has sailed. I've seen too much from the recovery world. I've seen too much from the even the secular psychology world to to. Um, act like I can even apply God's big truth without some kind of awareness of how that hits the individual, yeah. you know, soul or, or psyche. So I think it's, um, I think I'm probably less of a, um, idiotic doctrinaire, um, preacher yeah. than, I, than I used to be. Yeah. And I'm much more sensitive to suffering and kind of the loneliness of suffering that, you know, is out there in the pews. You know, Brian, uh, Nate here, I, I'm aware of a local a church here of 5,000 members that decided that it needed a Celebrate Recovery uh, ministry. So it paid the big money to send a couple guys out to California for training. And with a lot of fanfare, they launched their Celebrate Recovery program. Uh, and um, it has about 18 people in it. Uh and I'm convinced it's because the theology of the church and the way it's demonstrated Sunday after Sunday is diametrically, diametrically opposed. It doesn't recognize the legitimacy of failure and struggle. Um, so Celebrate Recovery becomes, you know, this kind of lonely group of losers that we're going to feel a little sorry for and give a room to. Uh, but But the weekly call is to uh, repent, uh, and rededicate and, uh, and, uh, be open to God's instantly transforming and healing power. And if, uh, and if success does not come, then obviously you've not yielded deeply enough. Uh, Anyway, it just frosts me. 
So, so what, Nate? You're saying you're convinced that out of five thousand people, eighteen, which according to my math is around thirty percent, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're saying that there there are a few more people that probably need to be in that, but the culture. Yeah. Keeps that crack in the door so small that they don't feel like that's a safe place to go. Yeah. Is it yeah, safety, it's not a safe Nate, place that to you go. feel they, like they're lacking? And what kills me is that they will respond to the altar call and they will come up for prayer and they will try for the thousandth time. And because addiction is a sickness caused by sin and they're not getting treatment for the sickness because they're, because healing has to be instantaneous and cannot be progressive because they haven't gotten the zapping miracle the way miracles are defined, um, they are eventually going to slip into despair or self-hatred uh, and can't, can't operate in the joy that is ours as redeemed sons of the sovereign Lord, you know, despite the fact we're still in process. That's what pisses me off. And, and but, but, but unless they can go to denial, you can go to despair, you can go to denial. If you can become, if you can go to kind of religious denial and, you know, create some super spiritual persona, well, then you can, you can get some status in the church and you can find some pseudo friends and God makes me, makes me mad. So why can't we Nate, fail? I, got, I, I have to read before you ask the next question, the yeah. fact in the charter of the Samson Society, and one of the ones I love the best, the first one is God exists, timeless mystery of the Trinity, God is creator. Uh, number three, spurning God's fellowship, we've all sinned, forfeiting our created place and losing our spiritual lives. I myself have personally defied God's laws, rejected his love. Alienation from him has produced darkness and chaos in my life, for which I've often blamed others. God has continued to love me even in my active rebellion and in Christ has done everything necessary to restore me perfectly to himself as I accept responsibility for my sin and find forgiveness in the finished work of Christ. I experience reconciliation with God and am progressively restored to harmony with myself and others. Despite the lingering effects of sin, I am a restored son of the sovereign Lord whose spirit is at work in my weakness displaying his glory and advancing his kingdom. That is such a beautiful thing that you guys wrote right, when you started Samson, because yeah. it says it's, it's all about the finished work of Christ and the progressive experience I have in him. And I still need to hear it every week. Yeah. Uh-huh. I need to hear it every week because there is inner and outer programming that is giving me an opposite message. Yeah. Yeah, I I love the restored son of the sovereign Lord, that statement so much. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, if I weren't out of room on my arm, like it, it's something that I actually have considered getting tattooed. There you um, go. Because <laughs> I, I need I need that reminder all the time that I'm a restored son of the sovereign Lord. That that is who I am. Mm. I considered it tattooing it elsewhere, but there was not <laughs> enough room. <laughs> you can, you can, we just proved you can hear a cringe. Tattooing while driving. But that is about, that is about I was just going to say that that paragraph is about like the most beautiful um, uh, paragraph written by a, a non Holy Spirit inspired uh, person in the history of humanity. <laughs> is that too, that's too, too strong? Because wow. 
like, honestly, I, I have a lot of Christian clients come in who don't like that. That paragraph would really land as a novel, a novel declaration to them. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been obvious to them that that was true. And it's obvious to a lot of us who have kind of been steeped in some of this kind of spiritual and theological thinking. Uh, but I, I probably have, I would have probably fewer clients. As I said, I've got a lot of Christian clients, but m- many of them are not uh, very practiced in this idea that their failure ha- has not um, alienated them from God's delight. Oh. That that it's possible to still be a, an active sinner and to have a father who, through the work of Christ, um, sees them as a, um, as a not, not, not in their sin, but to see them underneath their sin, so to speak, as this creature that he delights in, desires to have, uh, and has granted a kind of an unlosable um, status as a son. That is just not in the psychological arsenal to self-apply when they um, when they've blown it. And um, that, that's that's where I get the closest to almost. I, I do not preach in sessions. If you like, if you saw me in a session, you would you'd be mm-hmm. convinced that's a, that's a, that's a guy doing therapy. But that's the closest where you almost have to say, okay, we have to stop here for a second and just do a reorienting. Yeah. Uh, we got to do a fact a fact check yeah. on your identity apart from your experience. Um, your identity is the cherished son of the king, and that is unlosable. Uh, okay, now let's keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me ask you uh, that this is all kind of on the outside. I'm uh, I'm going to ask a a personal non-specific question. <laughs> I'm prepping you for that. Um, you have gone through a, a hard season in the last like four months. And because you're a pastor, uh, you don't need help. Because you're a therapist, you have all the answers. So you're an authority <laughs> right now on how how has friendship and honesty and brotherhood played a role in this really hard season and have you learned anything new? Hmm. Yeah, I think I'm finally um, having to put my money where my mouth is. Um, a lot of things that I've been telling others are uh, areas of where they can be free and where they can find restoration. So, I, um, yeah, I don't know how much you guys know about my story, but I won't go too far into it except to say that in, in many ways my, my family life has been blown apart uh, in the last, Oh, six months or so, um, and yeah, honestly, that 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 kid that I mentioned earlier in the interview that I was counseling um, about the dissolution of her family and her parents—that's my own daughter, and that was this morning. Oh, um, wow. and she's at home right now because she—it um, was just too hard to go to school in middle school because her mom's leaving. Um, so. Friendship, I mean, to cut, to, I could hang out in that. Uh, yeah, so I've got all kinds of feelings, feelings of failure. Um, uh, it's, 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 it's really hard to kind of go in right now as a licensed marriage and family therapist and deal with clients whose marriages are struggling, knowing that sometimes, huh, my marriage is actually way worse off than yours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you guys have... We could, could I just pay you for the session? Because <laughs> for me, so I could, but, um, I, but I can't do that. I can't. So that's why friendship has been, it, it's everything right now. It, and the nature of the friendship is 
that matters to me, I guess right now, what, what helps the most is to be able to tell the story of how I've been a victim and how I've been a perpetrator and just naming it all the way to the bottom, like naming the feelings, not packaging it up as, you know, the freedom to, and friendship to not have to end every paragraph with. Um, and yet, uh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> and, and a lot of songs end that way, and that is, that's how history ends, for sure. But on certain dark nights, um, I'm more of a Psalm 88. I'm kind of in a Psalm 88 place where everything's darkness. Um, and to be able to put words to that in the presence of friends who don't, um, you know, feel any pressure to talk me out of it or spiritualize it, while at the same time being the kind of friends that, you know, we're, we're uh, in alliance on the fact that God is still good and is in control of this and is weaving some kind of better story out of this than I can see yet. We, we share that in common, but they don't have to, uh, you know, um, be preaching that hard at me. Um, so what am I saying here? I think it's, it is a, uh, friendship right now is a place to, um, like kind of, uh, sort of publicly suck and, and be still have people around me who, uh, who um, kind of enjoy me in the middle of it. I'm not that articulate about this yet, because I, mean, I haven't really put words to it yet. But I... You put some pretty good words to it, yeah. man. That was beautiful. You, you said a thing, um, at least at least what I heard you say, was that like the story ends that way, you know, blessed be the name of the Lord. Like, yeah. it, it, History's going to wrap up that way. And it occurred to me when you said that, <clears throat> that if you look like, we being the church, being Christians, whatever term we're going to use, like we know, we know how the story ends. But I think if, if I read the Bible, having never heard of God, <clears throat> if I read it and read through it, I would think, God, these guys suck. <laughs> like this is the, this is the worst story ever. Yeah. You know? Um, and, and yet the narrative, the story I tell myself mm-hmm. is that if I don't get it right every day, if I do not end every, Oh my gosh, I do this all the time. If I don't end every check-in phone call with yeah but i'm learning something or god's doing this if i don't make myself optimistic about my my station in life yeah that that i'm bad at something yeah where the bible not even not not so much directly but it does directly but the bible just in terms of the narrative and the story arc like every day ends with something bad happening (laughs) you know i mean like every every like so like like that 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 was good. They did good, and then the next day they went and fucked it all up. You know, I mean, that's the Bible. Yeah, you is. know. Um, but the sto- but the story I tell myself is the exact opposite. Yeah. Um. So anyway, Phew. I I'm gonna I'm gonna let you off the hook for a second, Brian, because honestly, if I knew you had that kind of morning, I wouldn't have asked that question. <laughs> that that feels insensitive right now, but. As as okay. as you were talking, we we were in Second Corinthians seven at our church this week, and we had to pause on Paul talking about struggling with all this all, all these struggles from without and fears within that he was having incredible relational fears about whether or not people were mad at him and rejecting him in Corinth, and. Uh, we had to confess that that was weird because if somebody says they have these fears, these anxieties, the answer is, well, perfect love casts out all fear. And God has not given you a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power. And, and those things are true answers. 
But we finally decided that it's like saying Hawaii is an amazing place to go on vacation. And that's a true statement. But if you live in Phoenix, you're a hell of a long way from Hawaii. <laughs> and you are not you're you're not living in the Hawaii experience. And to get to Hawaii takes preparation and plans and a journey. Hmm. So all of those statements about God's goodness and his sovereignty and and that that perfect love does cast out all fears. Sometimes we forget that we got to buy a ticket and save up the money and get on the plane and go on a journey to get to that truth. Just because it's true doesn't mean it's our experience right now. Hmm. So that that seems like the most uh, again, is this the third time I've said this the most obvious thing in the in the world? This is all seems really obvious. And yet it eludes me in my deepest times of need. It's the, uh, to get theologically nerdy about it, like, you know, we used to talk about the problem of the uh, over-realized eschatology. You guys ever use that language? It's this, we think because we have read to the end of the book of Revelation, where really everything is made new and every tear is wiped away, that we should probably be living there right now. Right. And that if we just kind of uh, repeat a couple verses that remind us of that, that um, it's somehow shameful not to have that, that experience that, that present experience of, of unbroken joy, but we're really we're acting. That's that's the you know that's the, the falsehood there that we're we're pretending like we're in Hawaii when we're clearly still in Phoenix. <laughs> we're in Cleveland. <laughs> uh, we love you, Arizona people. We do. Okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and a uh, little note here to our subscribers and sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're reaching the end of our time, but Nate, say something cheerful, man. Say say something inspiring. Uh, what? Well, what? Because we have to end it on an up note. <laughs> I think we have established blessed, that it is not is necessary. The name of the Lord. <laughs> we can end this podcast in freaking Phoenix if we want. To. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, Brian, uh, uh, brother, I, this is a divine uh, point. I'm so glad you came on to talk with us today. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Yeah, and thank you for your- thanks for having me. This is this is a dream. You guys are. Uh, I'd be having the same conversation if we were all at a pub somewhere. Yeah. Okay, but let's. Th- we that- should make arrangements for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and thank you for your authenticity this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, you're easy guys. Easy guys to be with because <laughs> even though Psalm 88 ends with my companions have become darkness, uh, <laughs> you guys are um, companions that bring light and and goodness. So I'm really glad to have been in your presence for 30 minutes or whatever it was. We could, let's, let's do it again sometime. I love yeah, it. And do it. Don't worry. If, if you're in Psalm 88, there is 72% more Psalms to go. <laughs> that California math again. <laughs> we have, we have exactly 3% of the show left to go, but we will do that after this quick break on the Pirate Monk Podcast. All right.
Thank you, Dr. Brian Kay, for being with us today. And thank you, kind listener, for uh, downloading us or streaming us here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. All right. Hey, we love to hear from you. If you would like to give us a, a call, a suggestion, a question, an admonition, uh, a curse, send it to uh, piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. I curse enough for all of us. So, <laughs> <laughs> so until next week. You know, it, it has been a long time. Hold on. I'm, I'm going to give this much of a guilt trip. It's been a long time since we have had a listener question sent to our Gmail. Yeah. We actually, in in case you who are listening wonder if we really want to receive that, we really want to receive that. If you yeah. have questions about anything, even like recipes, I love talking recipes. So you know, send that in. Send us send us some questions because we want to hear what you are thinking about. Uh, you might think you're all alone out there, but you're not. We are in this together. So you can save us, us work on email. picking a topic. <laughs> <laughs> What's get, get, give that email address one more time, Nate? Pirate Monk Podcast at gmail.com. And you can hit us up on Facebook right. or at our website, piratemonkpodcast.com. Uh, anywhere you want to, you can leave us a voicemail. If you go to our website and scroll down to the bottom, you can, uh, you can get to us any which way. We yeah. just want to hear from you. You know, there's actually, and I'm just going to totally play in jazz here. There's a podcast I know that does this. Okay. You can record a voice memo on your phone and email it to us, and then you'll That's hear true. yourself on the podcast. Ooh. Just don't use your name. <laughs> okay. All right. Good. I like it. So right. many options. So many ideas. Well, until next week or next month or whatever it is we get back We'll together. see you in June. <laughs> Pitchers and catchers have reported. <laughs> I'm Nate. I'm Newton. I'm Mark. We're your pal on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Oh, Covey and Junior P. Preaching recovery. Did it, did it, did it, did it.